And so we're thankful for our men who go down there and suffer, (laughs) suffer some abuses from those that they speak to, that they speak the gospel to. I'm very proud of you guys. And I, uh, I am with you in, in one way, even if it's not physically. Uh, been there, done that, still do that in writing on Quora. Uh, there's so many things. And it brings up a, uh, one of the arguments that the person made was, well, God is a loving God. He wouldn't condemn anybody, right? Okay, I've heard it before. Yes. Yeah, God goes around. He, he just tolerates sin. He doesn't care about sin. No, he does care about sin. <laughs> and he calls everybody to repent everywhere. We have to leave that message wherever we go. Turn to James chapter 3. And we're going to finish out uh, some of what I... Uh, gave a a bit of short shrift to last week. I appreciate your patience with me. I've been sick now for the, I was just talking about entering my fourth week of being sick. Uh, I am better this morning. Thank goodness for that. Uh, Thank the Lord. But I'm not over it yet. Uh, So, but I'm thankful to be back here and being uh, able to teach the word. I want to start at verse 13 after a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, we are reminded that it is your word that has the power to convert souls. And we are thankful, Father, for the reports of our men suffering at the words of those who would bring accusations against them. And yet they faithfully endure and preach for which we are grateful. We join with them in prayers to you to empower them to continue in this difficult task of preaching the gospel. Help us this morning as we open the scriptures and read about James and his thoughts as he lays them out here as the Lord instructed him. All this we ask in Christ's name, amen. In my studies in preparation for this lesson, I watched a video of John MacArthur out in California on James, about James. It's kind of an account of how he came through the whole thing. You know, he was a brother through the Lord Jesus, according to John, and I agree with him. Um, uh, we think that James was the second born. He was the first uh, naturally born one. Jesus was supernaturally born. Um, James was the next in line. And then came a number of other brothers, those whose names are mentioned in the scriptures in Matthew. Um, And we now know, uh, 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 John expressed it so well, I'm skipping over a whole bunch of stuff just to get to the point, that Uh, uh, James and the rest of the brothers during the early ministry of Jesus at approximately age 30 they didn't believe in him at all and then we find something else happening it's after the resurrection Christ appears to James 
There's no explicit reference to any interchange or anything like that. But apparently, the Lord converted him and he became shortly thereafter a leader amongst the believers in Jerusalem at the time. And then came Pentecost. You have to read this. It's amazing. You go to Pentecost and you'll find the names of his brothers. Yes, the other brothers who apparently have come to faith too. After they have seen the crucifixion, after they have seen or heard of the resurrection. And on Pentecost, they are there along with their sisters. Wow. So the family was apparently evangelized by our own Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I think that's marvelous. But John also had a few humorous things because he pointed out that Christ was raised in that environment, a family environment with all these brothers and sisters and he never sinned. Wow. And he said, I'm sure that Mary, his mother said to the others, why can't you be more like him, you know? It's the truth, isn't it? But we don't know too much about those years. We don't. But we do know that one, he did not sin. And uh, because of that, he likely was a little bit of a, an enigma to his brothers and sisters. And, uh, uh, and, and yet, he grew up naturally and normally like the rest. He did not hit all home runs when he played stickball, Okay. Uh, have you ever read that stuff? Uh, there's these accounts of stupid stuff, you know, like he always, they played stickball and he would hit a home run every time. There was no such thing as baseball in those days. Okay. Uh, but there might've been some kind of a stick game or something like that, or that he created some clay pigeons and from uh, pigeons from the clay nonsense. And John covered that very nicely. And I, I think he's absolutely right. But here is James, that second son, if you will, of Mary, converted to Christ, eloquent in the Greek language. We know that from the Greek in the book of James. This is no, what did I call it last week? Uh, goat herder. We always get that criticism, bunch of goat herders, writing stuff. He is none of that. He is an eloquent, educated man. In Nazareth, he probably learned the Greek because it was kind of necessary for trade and such in those days uh, if you lived in that area. But nonetheless, that, this is the man that is now writing this letter. And we're privileged to see his thinking. And so in chapter 3, verse 13, let us uh, read. Who is wise and understanding among you? By that he's making reference to those that wanted to be teachers. They were usually considered wise and understanding. And he said, I don't want many of you to be teachers. Because you'll have a greater judgment. More strict judgment. 
Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by what? This is what James is all about. Good works. Good conduct. That his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. I haven't got time to go off on that trail about the meekness of wisdom, but it's a beautiful phrase. And you'd have to go back to the book of Proverbs and and Ecclesiastes and a number of other places. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and and lie against the truth. Dangers in teaching, eh? Yes. Because it generates sometimes this envy and self-seeking. They were considered leaders in the community if they were teachers in the community. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Oh my goodness. That's quite a, quite a personality list of traits, isn't it? For the person that is going to be a leader in the Christian community, they should show forth these things. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That finishes the third chapter, at least according to my Bible. And then he continues on, the same thought. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder. That's right. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. There's a whole lot there about human nature, about the way that our, the inclination of our sinful nature expresses itself. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Let me ask you this. Do you have to actually murder a person and bury them in the ground or something to be guilty of murder? Does anybody know? No. What's the standard uh, uh, if you uh, uh, if you're angry at your brother without a cause, you committed murder in your heart. That's the reason we can tick them off. Murder, uh, uh, sexual sins, the whole thing, right down the line. If you're guilty of one, my Bible says that you're guilty of all. And that's one of the reasons why we don't look to the law for righteousness sake, but to the spirit of God. 
It's by the law, it's the knowledge of sin. But these things are expressive of our natural nature, our sinful nature, as it tries to express itself. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. I know that most people are not going to admit that, that they don't pray for things to get things, but the truth of it is you and I both know it's true that sometimes people pray for things because they want things. Adulterers and adulteresses. Wow, James, hang on, James. Now he's pointing out, and he's making his point that they're guilty of these things. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is some strong language and teaching right through here by this young man, James. My, my. Very strong. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? And then comes this marvelous passage. But he gives more grace. <laughs> Thank God for that, eh? Uh, how often have we ourselves uh, coveted and all these other things, wanted to be friends with the world? Yeah, it still happens. Do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? It's a sense of the spirit being jealous. It is not an unjustified jealousy. It is one about Christ's holiness and God's holiness. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Whew, okay. <laughs> um, he's still talking about being teachers in the community, in the Christian community. I, I uh, want you to know that I consider myself, uh, even when I pastored uh, uh, for so many years, I pastored three different churches, the, uh, always considered it a privilege to be a preacher, but I also reminded our people that, it, that the uh, Great Commission says to go for and preach the gospel, teaching them all the things that I have told you. It is no less important the teaching ministry than the preaching ministry. I'll tell you that right now. They're both very important aspects of ministry. Teaching is a high order and a high calling. And uh, I've always considered it a serious business and one that I... Uh, covet but, uh, very much in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the teaching ministry. I like to preach too, but both are extremely important. Therefore, submit to God, verse seven. Re resist the devil and he will flee from you. What? 
You mean all I have to do is resist the devil? That's what he says. Now, how, how in the world is, why is it that he turns and flees from us? Because he already knows he's lost. He lost this battle a long time ago. And he's not going to waste time on you resisting him. He's going to seek whom he may desire, uh, devour. He's got others to go after. But for you that have the spirit of God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Aren't we glad for that? I am. He has lost the battle. He knows it. And he's seeking whom he may devour. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. And then comes this word that he's used before. You double-minded, trying to serve two masters at the same time. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Take it, take that promise right there. Take that promise. What we've just read, uh, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Lament and mourn. The Lord will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother uh, speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver, that would be Jesus Christ, who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? There is a sense, and I wish I could spend time in it and take off on a trail and preach Matthew chapter seven about judgment. I won't do that. There's an appropriate place for judgment. According to that uh, instruction in Matthew chapter seven, it is Matthew seven, isn't it? My brain, that's about do not judge lest you be judged. That kind of stuff. I think that's how it begins. But then it goes on to say, remove the plank from your own eye and then you'll be able to judge rightly. And the apostle Paul said that the righteous man judges everything. And yet he is not judged rightly by anyone. Judgment is, and discernment, judgment deserves a whole lot of treatment there. But we are to judge things. But we are to be fair and not double-minded in so doing. Not speaking evil of one another. If we give feedback to somebody about a behavior or something that we want to judge one of our brothers, it should be remedial in nature. That is to say... We don't want to harm that person. We're not wanting to tear them down. <coughs> we want to, to come to repentance and to, and to once again comport with the holy behaviors that we should be showing as Christian people. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. 
Amen to that. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. Uh, uh, We have to be careful about discerning judgment as opposed to just judgment, judgment, a kind of a criticism. Verse 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. That must have happened many, many times for those Jews that were dispersed. They were believers in Christ, but were dispersed from Jerusalem and all over the Mediterranean area that they were uh, uh, skilled uh, craftsmen sometimes and those uh, who knew how to make a business work, you can almost see and think of them going through this process. We're gonna go here and we're gonna buy and sell and make a profit. But then he says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. You know, when I, uh, let me tell you uh, uh, how else that works when you get really old. <laughs> you don't know what'll happen tomorrow. It could be tomorrow, it could be today, but that's okay. I'm in the hands of Almighty God. I'm doing His bidding, no one else's. And if I'm going to go and try to uh, do this kind of thing, I doesn't strike me as anything I'd want to do, but you ought to commit your efforts to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will make you successful sometimes. Have you ever, uh, uh, I'll give you an example. Have you ever uh, uh, been out of a job and you're looking for a job and, and everything and you say, oh my, look at that one. I like that one. And I go, you know, I'm focused on that one. And so you're hoping and you got all your hopes. There's the one I want. All of the things that I'm interested in in that job. And then you don't get it. Hello. (laughs) Been there, done that more than a few times. And yet God has superintended my life exactly as he had in mind. It's not about me. It's about Christ. And if you see it that way, you can walk away from that job interview that just turned you down of the best job you wanted. And you can say, blessed be the Lord. We are not to try to work out our life, as it says here in verses 13 and 14, without due reference to God and Christ in our life. We're nothing. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life, he says? It is even a vapor that appears for a brief time and then vanishes away. Anybody here over 80? Yes. It says here that our life is brief, like a vapor. And when you get 80, you realize that. (laughs) It's a vapor and it's about to disappear. (laughs) Be gone. 
Make the best of what you have. And when you're planning your life, do so with due respect to God's purpose in your life. And don't be trying to decide everything based on the profits you might gain, the, the, uh, uh, the salary that you might earn, and all of those kinds. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we, will live, we shall live and do this or that. In other words, our reference is to God first and then back to earth. We seek the Lord's guidance in our life. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now there's a challenge. You know it's the right thing. You know it's good. But you don't do it. He says that's sin. We ought to be on the lookout, shouldn't we? For what is good to do with our life. Always looking to do that which God is pleased with. And that is in accordance with the Lord's will. I've shared many times about uh, in my testimony and, and so forth uh, in the lead up through my life of off the hand casual decisions made that changed everything in my life. Everything. I was not a believer at the time. Later I would look back and say, it was God doing this and God doing that and God sending me here and God sending me there and doing this and I'm not even a believer. God is in your life. He's directing it. And we ought always, now that we have come to faith, we ought always to look to him because we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. We really don't. I was, uh, 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 when I think about this morning's news, did anybody check the news before you came? An earthquake in Morocco. Over 2,000 people already and it's climbing. I wonder if they thought what they're gonna do tomorrow. They're gone. Over 2,000 people gone. As I like to say sometimes, it sounds a little crude, but don't mess with this God. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him, it is sin. All right, we're going to stop there a little early. But next, uh, let me introduce next week's lesson. 
We have five one. When you're reading along and you, uh, you come to things like this, it just slaps you up across the head. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming up on you. Do you know that just about everybody that I know that is not in the Lord Jesus Christ is fighting to make themselves a success in the world, to earn a lot of money, to have that, uh, you realize now you need a couple million dollars to, to uh, retire according to, uh, according to the news reports and such. Today, if you're gonna retire in the future, you need about $2 million. Well, now that puts my thousands of dollars kind of into a bad place. Nobody told me this in 1960 when I started working. No one told me that I should do this and that I would need $2 million to retire. And so you find yourself wondering how things are going to go. Guess what? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not boasting of myself, but let me put it bluntly. I don't care. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I will take whatever he has in his plan for me. If he calls on me to live another 10, 15 years, so be it. I'll be as faithful as I can in what he has called me to do. If I die tomorrow, so be it. I don't care about the world and their desires and the things of the world. I drive, my wife and I, you know, we drive and count deer. Does everybody, anybody else count deer? <laughs> I love it. I never thought I would get a response, but we do. We drive out and we count deer. Uh, ranges anywhere from 100 to 200 deer. It's true. And we do all that in about an hour. We know where the deer are, okay? <laughs> and uh, uh, it's, it's a fun time. But as we're out there, we wonder about, you know, we see the, uh, the seasons kind of play in and play out. Uh, now it's a beautiful time of the year. The, the corn is getting finished and ready to go. There's even some farmers in the fields now cutting that corn. The beans a little bit behind, but uh, uh, we see all of these changes and everything like that. And then I realize I've seen this for 82 years. I say, I just... I'm astounded uh, as to God is faithful in all that he does with his nature. And guess what? He's even, I, I can't say more faithful, but more attentive to what? To his children. To his children. This is a gracious and loving God that gives even old coots the wherewithal to meet the demands of life. Thanks be to God. I will not covet what the world has. 
I'll just watch the corn and beans and count the deer. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is a joy to come and testify to your faithfulness in our lives. For those of us who name the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we know that you, we are your children and you love us with tender, loving care. Yes, we do go through some difficult times. And yes, we have sicknesses being in this sinful flesh. But you, dear Lord, give more grace. Thanks be to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.